Uh, back at it. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast post-Bedlam blowout. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, how would how would, how did we uh, sleep uh, on on uh, Saturday night after that bedlam game? Uh, to be honest with you, better than I probably should have. I was pessimistic all last week going in, and what I saw Saturday night was just a total mismatch. T- to me, the the night after the Texas game, I think I might have even participated in some uh, so, some alcohol use that night. I was just not in a very good headspace after the Texas game because you gave one away that you should have won and it felt like it kind of derailed your season. On Saturday night, it didn't feel like you gave one away. It felt like you got your head pounded in, but it was – I mean, I've been waiting for two days to record this podcast, and I've just been <laughs> on edge because there is so much to get to from Saturday night. There is a lot to get to, and I'll say the last uh, – on Sunday morning, my alarm clock went off. You know, after the Bedlam game, I, I slept fine too. I'm, I'm with you. My alarm goes off, and this is what I heard. It's Groundhog Day. Oh, it's absolute Groundhog Day for Mike Gundy and Bedlam. I mean, we—I tried to give him credit for being showing more aggression in 2018 with Corn Dog going for two, 2017 with Mason letting it all hang out. He punted on OU's 39. Carson. Down 21 with 12 minutes to go. He waved the white flag. He gave up. He told his team, we're not winning this game. He told OSU fans, I don't care if we win this game. I want to get on the bus and go home. Did you see what he said about the punt this morning? Game flow decision. He said, okay, so Jacob Under tweets this. He says, Mike Gunny said he elected to punt in the fourth quarter against the Sooners because of young offensive line struggles, OU's pass rush, OU's coverage, and it was a quote-unquote game flow decision. It's a game flow decision? You're down 21 points in the fourth quarter and you punt from your opponent's side of the 40-yard line and you call it a game flow decision? Am I supposed to sit here like I'm stupid and accept that as a reasonable explanation as to why that took place? <laughs> no, you're absolutely not. I mean, that that to me just – look, there, we're going to get all into all his decisions he made. And I think, I think almost the, the third and seven stretch play when, earlier in the game when they're in the red zone was almost worse. But th- this to me was a slap in the face to his players, to the fans, to the administration, to everybody. And Mike knows what the narrative is about him in this game. He's not he's not dumb. He's not deaf. He knows that people have criticized his approach in this game. And he still did that. That to me, and look, we're going to get into all the matchup problems and how this game played out and frankly how Oklahoma dominated the football game. But just the message you send to me, that that to me was probably the, the last straw for a lot of a lot of OSU fans watching Bedlam. Yeah, and my thing is like it's not like you had first and goal and you got backed up because of penalties like we see in these weird scenarios and, and such. 
It was fourth down and eight, and I thought it was just poetic justice from the football gods that after OU goes on a six-minute drive – by the way, it took them three plays to get back past the 39-yard line where Oklahoma (laughs) State punted from. 30-yard run on the first play. It's like, wow, glad we punted. That field position really mattered down by 21 in the fourth quarter. It's – but, but then on the next possession, when Oklahoma State gets the ball back, Carson, they were faced with a fourth and eight on the very next possession, which is poetic justice from the football gods. And what did they do? They threw it to Jelani, and they picked it up with ease. Uh, but I guess at that point, you know, you're not worried about the young offensive line struggles, OU's pass rush, OU's coverage. And you know what? It's just a game flow decision. Who am I to argue with game flow decisions? game flow to say yeah like, like we're supposed to just be like oh game flow oh that's that's right that's why you punt that situation like we're supposed to just believe that so look i, I went way too far ahead of myself here on the all the gundy takes and everything that happened in that game let's let, first let's get to the christian university spirit uh sponsorship we appreciate them Love there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of school spirit going around right now in terms of when it comes to bedlam uh but go to christianuniversityspirit.com do all your holiday shopping needs and uh who knows? Maybe uh, maybe Oklahoma State will be shopping for a new coach. We're gonna we're gonna get into all of that, and I, I do yeah, want I mean, to do Carson, that. Yeah, I mean, Carson. Here's what people need to do: they need to realize that college basketball season starts this week, and they need to go down and get themselves a uh, a Cade Cunningham jersey. Well, we're go. probably not allowed to call it a Cade Cunningham jersey. Go get yourself an Oklahoma State basketball jersey that coincidentally has Cade Cunningham's number on the back, and rock that because basketball season's on the way. I like what you did there, and that is certainly something. Uh, to get excited about, you know, OSU was a basketball school for so long. They've been a football school for about a decade. And again, that's credit to Mike Gundy, but uh, Colby, let's, let's get into the game and and we're going to get back to Mike. And I have so many things to talk about with him and just his approach and just where his program is as a whole, as it stands today. But let's, let's go back to the beginning of the game. And again, I think a lot of this is on Mike too. The first quarter was an annihilation by Oklahoma. And I don't just mean scheme because Lincoln Riley with two weeks to prepare just sliced and diced Jim Knowles and the OSU defense. He played all of their past film with the GT counter against them, had them totally out of place and out of mind. And it's more so too than just that though, for me, Colby watching that first quarter, Oklahoma looked like a rabid dog and Oklahoma state looked like a dog, a fish out of water, just trying to survive. And to me, that's a mindset. That is a, a coach getting his team 1,000% ready to play. And I think you just go to the first series. Ramondre Stevens is in the open field. He doesn't have a full head of steam. Trey Sterling kind of comes in there timidly, whiffs. He comes in there timidly at Spencer Rattler, whiffs, untouched, touchdown. And then you juxtapose Sterling coming in there timidly with Ronnie Perkins going full Debo on everybody, throwing Spencer Sanders six yards away from himself. And just to me, Colby, obviously that was a coaching mismatch with what Lincoln Riley was able to do, what Alex Grinch was able to do. But I think the bigger damnation on Mike Gundy is his team, the way they looked. Do you agree with any of that? Yeah, I agree with a lot of that. I I think to me, I was watching that first quarter Saturday, and what it reminded me of, you know, as Oklahoma State fans – We've had ourselves a lot of fun whenever OU gets to the playoff, and we saw the one against Clemson several years back and then against LSU last year. And, you know, we like to make fun of OU because they get against one of these quote-unquote big boys, and in the first quarter, they just get overwhelmed by the speed and the physical presence. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, if you want to make fun of that team because they go to the college football playoff and they get totally overwhelmed in the first quarter, what does that say about your own team 
that that team overwhelms you that same way in the first quarter. Oklahoma State looked totally shell-shocked to be on the same field as Oklahoma. They looked like they had no idea where the ball was at, where the ball was going. They were getting beat physically, and they were getting beat mentally the entire first quarter. And then it's like, I don't know, the defense settled in. I I don't know what happened. Maybe they realized, uh, hey, we're going to get completely embarrassed if we don't pull our heads out right now. But that first quarter was one of the most disheartening things I've watched in a long time because I picked OU to win the game, but I thought it would be competitive. And we knew, Carson, by the five-minute mark in the first quarter, we knew that the game was over, it was completely decided, and we were only watching the rest of it to see how much OU was going to win by. And that was something I did not expect, and it was really disheartening. It was. And, again, I I give Lincoln a lot of credit for the first two drives. And then, Colby, once again – Oklahoma State and the replay official. Oh my God! Just it's it's a tale as old as time, just like Bedlam, and and it go, and hand in hand with with a replay official when it comes to Bedlam, how they ruled that an interception. Again, this is a terrible break because you're already down, and then the, the the officials lose their freaking minds and call that interception. It was clearly a case where he trapped the football on the ground to come up with it. You can automatically just go back to the Dylan Stoner reversal. They reversed that call. That was a really bad break, and I, I totally understand that that was a terrible break. That extends it to 21, and you're basically – this team is not built to play from behind. That was a really bad break, and I, I still have no idea. You know, the guy that was on TV had no idea what he was talking about either. At first, he was like, oh, it's clearly an interception. He finally, like, opens his eyes after the sixth replay and is like, oh, yeah, that's that, that's that's not an interception. He, he trapped it. Like, well, yeah, yeah. I saw that on the first – the first replay, dude, like, wake up. You're as clueless as the guy that's actually making the, the call. So, Colby, I, I had so many thoughts going back to that, like, 2017 game when they reversed the OU fumble for a touchdown for OSU. Yeah, and the the Abdul Adams call in 2017, that one to me stings so much worse because that game I thought Oklahoma State maybe would have won if they catch that break early. This yep. one I don't think mattered nearly as much, but they did get it wrong. So, funny story from Saturday night. My brother-in-law is from California originally. You know, he's not a, a big college football fan, but he's, he's an OSU fan with our family, and, and he watches. Um, and so we're watching the replay, and finally the people on the broadcast realize it's incomplete. We all realize that it's incomplete, that the ball has hit the ground. And I looked at my brother-in-law, and I said, look, you've only watched a couple of bedlams. I've been watching <laughs> these things my whole life. I promise they're going to come back from this review and they're going to give OU this interception. And they did. And I, Carson, I knew it was incomplete. We saw it hit the ground. We saw it move. It, I mean, it's clear as day, incomplete. And I knew without a doubt, without hesitation, that they were going to give OU that interception. I wasn't surprised in the slightest. I don't know what it is, but for whatever reason, those calls always go OU's way during Bedlam. Again, 2017, I think it mattered. Uh, Saturday night, I, I didn't think it mattered. It would have been third and 10. I don't think they would have gotten it. I think they would have punted. I think OU would have scored. I think it would have been 21 nothing. But, yes, they got that call very wrong. Yes, and, again, I'm not a big blame the officials guy. I know you're not either, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist. It was just, like, too predictable that that call would go against them. And so I, I understand that goes against you, and it, it adds to the just the, the massive hole that you are you have in the first quarter. But, Colby, I thought this game played out pretty much how I, I thought it would. I said that the defense would it. keep them in this game, and they did. In the quarter, second and three, they settled in. And 
I, I just didn't see any avenue for Oklahoma State to move the football. And here's how here's how well the defense played against Ramondre Stevenson, who I thought would wear them out in the fourth quarter, and he did. Uh, Stevenson had 43 yards on 16 carries through 43 minutes of the ball game. And on the Sooners' final two possessions, he had 10 carries for 98 yards. And I just think the dam, the dam broke. I mean, the, the defense held up as long as they could with their offense being a total quagmire. And I, this game played out much in the way I thought it would. So I can't be just overly critical because I just think that's, it was a bad matchup for OSU. I understand all those things. And we're going to get to this, the Spencer Sanders, Shane Ellingworth thing. But I wanted to bring up another, another Mike Gundy gem of a quote today from his, his press conference. And this to me is my biggest problem with the entire game. I don't want to hear about the injuries on the offensive line. They got healthier. They got some guys back. I know they lost Tevin Jenkins during the game. Mike Gundy, quote, I didn't like our concept Saturday night. I thought we could have done a better job coaching. I don't think we had the plans we needed to give our best players or to give our players the best chance. And that's it for me. Like I get you get in this big hole. I get your offense is built more towards running the football with Spencer Sanders. And it's tough to do that when you're down 21, nothing. You had two weeks to prepare and you didn't like your concepts. It looked like Colby, they had played a Thursday night game five days prior, six days prior. And where's the creativity? I mean, Lincoln Riley has more creativity in his, the fingernail on his pinky than OSU's entire playbook has. It's, it's, it's so hard to watch Shane Illingworth, Spencer Sanders, just drop back, you know, five-step drop, six-step drop, and just kind of look around and just hope something, hope Tylen Wallace just puts on his cape. There was no creativity. I thought it was a testament to OSU's defense that Lincoln had to pull out some of those, his old tricks out of his bag to get some, some of those, those big chunk yard plays that ended up in touchdowns. But for me, this game was lost with the talent gap, obviously, Colby, with the bad start. But OSU didn't like, – Mike Gunning didn't give his team a chance to win with their, their game plan going into the game. Yeah, I thought that there were two mismatches Saturday night that made it impossible for Oklahoma State to even be competitive. One of those was at the line of scrimmage. Oklahoma State was obviously completely overmatched at the line of scrimmage. Uh, and then the other one was on the sideline. Uh, the, the gap from what Lincoln Riley is as a head coach to what Mike Gundy is as a head coach is the size of the Grand Canyon. And I, I had this conversation uh, I recorded this morning before you and I got on the 73rd hole, our golf podcast, and we were talking just in one of the breaks about Bedlam and you know I'm talking to my buddy who's no U fan and I told him I said if Mike Gundy is at Oklahoma State for another decade I think he'll be gone before he beats Lincoln Riley but Mike Gundy <laughs> beat Bob Stoops twice Mike Gundy will not beat Lincoln Riley it is such 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 a mismatch you had two weeks and you come out after two weeks and you say you don't like your concepts what the hell did you do for two weeks that you couldn't come up with concepts better than what we saw Saturday night. I just, I am at my absolute wits end with just Mike Gundy. And, and, and you know, I, I see a lot of people on social media already spinning his press conference today as really honest and coming out and taking responsibility. At this point, it doesn't matter. It, I'm past needing to hear Mike Gundy come out and take responsibility for Oklahoma State getting their asses kicked again. I, I don't need responsibility. I need better. That's what Oklahoma State fans deserve. They deserve better, and they're not getting it. I, I don't know. It, it just seems like um, this program has become completely stagnant, and that starts at the top. Totally. And I think 
the, mo the, the only way to describe Mike Gundy's bedlam career, I mean, obviously he's two and 14. He has the worst winning percentage against Oklahoma of any coach in the history of OSU. And it's been the best run of OSU football history under Mike Gundy. That's what's so maddening about this. And I don't think it's a coincidence that he has the worst winning percentage against Oklahoma when you see his approach in this game. I mean, Oklahoma from 2009, while the injuries they had in 09, through 2014, that's as gettable as Oklahoma's ever going to be. And he still can't beat them because he enters this game with the mindset of, I think part of this, Colby, Mike Gundy's from the old school OSU. He's, he's, from, the, he's from the past. And OSU football's changed, a credit to Mike Gundy. But with the facilities, this is now a big-time football program. And Gundy just enters this game with the, the tail tucked between his legs. It's Oklahoma. They're so much better than us. Let's just hope to keep it close instead of just taking it to them. And, again, I thought Lincoln Riley, in a kind of a roundabout way, encapsulated Mike Gundy's bedlam career as well. I thought his quotes were almost shots across the bow in terms of this is what I'm about. I know what the guy across from me is about. He said, quote, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, actually. I'm paraphrasing. He said, we wanted to come out as the hunters, not the hunted. To beat a good football team, you can't be conservative. You have to go take it. That is the summation of why Mike Gundy does not beat Oklahoma. He doesn't have either of those mindsets entering this game. In fact, he has the exact opposite. Oklahoma State looked like the hunted. They played like it. They played scared. They were coach scared. They were not put in good positions to succeed offensively. They knew they were going to run the football. They didn't throw hardly any screens to the receivers and make those secondary guys tackle. I mean, just really simple things. It was a, a total failure on the coaching staff, on the players as well. But again, it, when we when we evaluate Mike Gundy's bedlam, bedlam career, we're going to talk about the mismatches with talent. But I think right there with it is his approach because this is the this is the heyday of OSU football, and there were some gettable games, and his approach is all wrong. It's just it, his approach is all wrong. Yeah, and for years, Carson, I made excuses for Mike Gundy uh, just about the talent discrepancy. I'm like, you know, yes, they don't beat OU very often, but nobody beats OU very often. There's a clear gap in talent there. But in 16 tries now, 16 tries, you've beaten OU twice. How many tries did it take Matt Campbell? to beat them twice. Iowa State has comparable talent to Oklahoma State, probably less. Iowa State has less talent than Great Oklahoma point. State. Matt Campbell's beaten him twice. Chris Kleiman at Kansas State has talent far inferior to what they've got in Stillwater. Chris Kleiman now in two tries has beaten him twice. I, I just, it, yep. it is a mindset. It is a mindset right now in Stillwater. It, it's like, you know, we get mad. Oklahoma State fans want to get mad. You know, Baker calls us the little brother, and, and OU fans want to look at us as the little brother. Well, when your own coaching staff has the little brother mindset and they just roll over and allow themselves to be beaten up by the big brother, what do you expect them to say in Norman? All they've done is beat you to a pulp for two decades, and you just keep bringing this same guy back and asking for more. And you know what you get? You get more. It's not the talent discrepancy. Campbell can do it. Kleiman can do it. Why can't Gundy do it? Why can't Gundy do it? I can't figure it out. No, at this point, it's it's amusing to OU. I mean, I listened to the the Sooner Scoop podcast. Eddie Rodosevich, Kerry Murdoch, Josh McQuiston, those guys do a great job. And I, I had to listen to something after the game just to just to get my just wrap my head around what I had just watched. 
and like they were so they were in such disbelief of some of the decisions Mike Gundy made. It almost turned into an OSU podcast. And those guys too, they they steered it back to Oklahoma, but they almost had to address Mike Gundy's demons in this game and his decisions to punt the third and seven handoff, which was a total give up play. It, that that speaks to exactly what you're talking about. Like it was just. It's it's almost comical to this point for for Oklahoma fans. And again, OSU fans can handle losing to Oklahoma. That's 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 usually what happens. I think all of us are all of us are used to that. But what you can't handle is what you just said: is that your coach approaches it with a little brother mindset, and that's exactly what Mike Gundy does. He approaches it with, "Oh my God, there's the OU logo across the field. We better." We better just don't screw it up. Just just keep it close, and hopefully we'll have a chance to win at the end instead of saying, you know what, screw those guys. We're going to go for it. That's what Chris Kleiman did. That's what Matt yeah. Campbell did. Those are well, great points just, by you. You know, going back to what you said about, uh, you know, it kind of being a joke at this point, in Norman, get on Twitter today and read some of the replies to these Mike Gundy quotes at his presser today. There are OU fans on Twitter who are, are literally replying to this stuff and begging Oklahoma State to give Gundy another contract extension. OU fans want Mike Gundy in Stillwater as long as he wants to be there because they know that no matter what the circumstances are going into this game every year, there's an overwhelming chance that they're going to win it. Let's be honest. Mike Gundy in 2011, Oklahoma State had the best team in school history. It was really one of the best teams in the country that year, if not the best. We didn't get a a chance to see it play out. And they, they beat Oklahoma uh, pretty bad. His only other win is because Bob Stoops went brain dead and punted a second time to Tyreek Hill. I just, he, he's beat him twice in 16 years and he had to get totally lucky on one of them. I just, uh. <laughs> well, and, and again, I'm going to, I juxtapose what Lincoln had to say versus what, how Mike Gundy approaches it. Let's just real quick. This is going to hurt, but we're going back to 2013. Oklahoma oh, was no. the, Oklahoma was the inferior team. And this is an important point here. They were the inferior team. Oklahoma State was favored in that game. They were they were far superior to that OU team that year. And what does Bob Stoops do? He pulls out all the stops. He fakes a field goal inside OSU's, I think, 10 or 15-yard line and has the, the hold or throw a touchdown to Michael Honeycutt. He, he knew he had to generate points. He didn't punt on the 39 down 21. He took it to OSU. They – they had a, obviously they had a punt return touchdown, which certainly helped him in that game. And Blake Bell just turned into the, the bedlam, you know, demon for OSU fans. But again, that that is that also just shows you why Oklahoma State does not win this game. It's because he, Mike Gunny's not willing to do those things in order to win. It's just it's just plain and simple. So Colby, let's let's get back to the game. Obviously, a big storyline in this game was the fact that Spencer Sanders. His head hit the turf pretty hard when Ronnie Perkins sacked him. He leaves the game, was shaken up. And they go to Shane Illingworth, who, again, throws a touchdown pass. You, you sit there and go, wow, maybe maybe that's a spark that, that they needed. Again, they the only way they got into scoring range was penalties by Oklahoma. That's really cool. But the only way OSU moved the football was penalties uh, through throwing it up in the air and hoping OU grabbed them. That was basically it. And so Illingworth really struggles. He goes five for 21. At one point, he was 13. He, he had 13 out of 14 incompletions. On 14 dropbacks, he had 13 incompletions. And it was maddening to see Sanders stay on the sideline. And then he comes in in the fourth quarter. And Mike Gundy's asked about it after the game and says, well, his, his head got dinged, and then he they, he started feeling better, so then, they, then he was cleared. That's, that's not how this works, Mike. 
if they, if they think you have a head injury, they take your helmet and you don't get it back. Robert Allen on the sideline reported it was a coach's decision. So that's what happened. And what happened, Colby, is Mike Gundy gave up on Spencer Sanders in the biggest spot of his career and the spot that he has been waiting for his entire career with this, this supporting cast around him, going to Norman, trying to win a Big 12 championship. You're getting down in a, in a big hole and he gets shaken up. And I'm, I'm fine with leaving Illingworth in there once he leads him down for a touchdown. I thought, he, I thought he might have provided a spark. But when you watch him go two for thir- 15 or whatever it was during that stretch after the touchdown, how you leave Spencer Sanders on the sideline there, I would be absolutely livid if I was Spencer Sanders. I mean, I cannot he, – he literally, Colby, gave up on Spencer Sanders in the moment of truth. And it cost him the game. Because you can go back to Lincoln Riley bench Spencer Rattler in OU Texas. But when he saw Tanner Mordecai not moving the football, throwing incompletions, he's like, we're not winning this game unless Rattler's in there. He put him back in. They won the game. Another maddening bedlam decision from Mike Gundy to stick with Shane Illingworth and not put Spencer Sanders back in the game. Yeah, it was absolutely wild. So I agree. Once Spencer takes the hit, he has to go to the sideline to get checked out. Illingworth leads you down for a touchdown. Okay, you can leave him out there. Also, like you said, we're not blaming the medical staff. If he would have had a concussion in the first quarter, you don't have a concussion in the first quarter and then not have a concussion in the fourth quarter. So we're not – again, I'm not stupid. I'm not I'm not going to let Mike Gundy talk to me like I'm stupid. No, that's not how it works. We all know that that's not how it works. Shane Ellingworth was 5 of 21 in that game for 71 yards. 5 of 21, completing less than 25% of his passes. And I tried to tell everybody, you know, certain people were clamoring for Shane Ellingworth to remain the guy after the Kansas game. And I tried to tell everybody this is Kansas, remembering it's West Virginia when he had to tell uh, Casey Dunn to run it and throw it sideways because they didn't trust Shane Ellingworth to throw the ball forward. He's, he's still a freshman. He might be really good someday. But once you bring him in and you realize he's not doing anything, get Spencer back out on the field, especially with an offensive line that's getting battered and bruised so that Spencer can move a little bit. What? And, and again, this is where I get back to, and I'm, I'm trying not to have like a, a heart attack over here. This is where we get back to the <laughs> fact breath. that you had two weeks. You had two weeks, and you come out and tell me you didn't have good enough concepts after two weeks. You and I sat here on this podcast, Carson, and we're like, move the pocket, get guys on the run, make OU's eyes, go side to side. The, the coaching strategy for Saturday was let's show up and hope OU doesn't play well. That, I mean, the, I can't think of what else the strategy possibly could have been. You tell me you don't have good concepts. He was looking for a way to get Ellingworth on the field. And once he got him out there, he left him out there way, way, way too long. You don't score in the third quarter, not one point in the third quarter when you're trailing 27 to 13, and you leave him out there the entire quarter to go five of 21. You can't even get a first down. You can't even let your defense rest for two seconds. I mean, Oklahoma had 10-minute time of possession advantage in this game, and you leave him out there for two and a half quarters? Whoa. It was, it was coaching malpractice. And again, you just become so much more predictable with Illingworth, just dropping back and hoping, hoping people get open because, oh, you knows you're not, you're not going to be able to run the football. They weren't able to run the football. And I, I just think, Colby, that I think Gundy and the staff are really intrigued with Illingworth's arm. And, and they're just, they just had it with Sanders' meltdown turnovers. And I think they were just kind of looking for an excuse to play Illingworth because Mike Gundy was even asked about that on the pregame radio broadcast. Like, 
I don't think they're asking that question if there wasn't a lot of intrigue within that program about playing Illingworth. He was asked that question. He said we would not hesitate to put him in. Yes. And I, they did not hesitate. So I think that's that's way more it than any head injury to Spencer Sanders. Yes. I mean, in the pregame, and I, I couldn't believe he said it in the pregame, that, well, we have the luxury of bringing 16 in if we need to. We can bring 16 in if we need to. We have that luxury. Is it a luxury or are you wavering on who you want to take the snaps? What that told me is that going into the most important game of the season, you weren't committed to a quarterback. That's what it told me. And I just – I don't know how they they evaluate quarterbacks at practice. I just know the majority of the time it, it doesn't go well. And I'm just – I'm so over all of it. I just feel like I'm watching – you know, you watch a movie – and it's good, and then you keep watching it, and you just kind of get burned out on that movie, and now you don't watch it anymore. And, and maybe <laughs> if you don't watch it for a decade, you pop it back in, and it's fun, but you're really kind of burned out on it. I feel like that's where a lot of people are right now with Mike Gundy and what we're seeing at Oklahoma State. It's the same thing over and over again, and it's exhausting. Well, there are some harsh realities <clears throat> that I want to break down with you about, about Mike Gundy's program, frankly. But I want to touch more on, on Sanders real quick. I mean, look, Spencer has played a role himself with why his career has, has not lived up to the billing. I mean, he's one of the most highly touted quarterbacks they've had. He's been responsible for a lot of the, the turnovers, obviously. I mean, he's been injury prone, which a lot of that's not his fault. And I don't think, he's, I don't think Mike Gundy's done right by him at all. He refused to play him early in his career. He clearly wasn't didn't have the experience for this team to win a Big 12 championship this year. He was still making freshman mistakes because he was essentially still in his fr true freshman season, only having played 13 career games. So I, I understand why he hasn't met expectations. And a lot of that's out of his control with, with injuries and with the way Mike Gundy's handled him. But now this is, this is a major question moving forward. Um, are they going to go with Illingworth next year? Are they going to go with Sanders? Because your offense looks – dramatically different with whoever you pick and when you lose Tylen Wallace you lose Chuba Hubbard the offensive line is a is a is a sham I mean Colby they've had four offensive line coaches in six years and that falls directly again on the head coach he could not work things out with Joe Wickline look Joe Wickline played a role in that I know people that know him those two had a falling out and both were to blame I'm not blaming Mike Gundy for their falling out but the clear result is Mike Gundy has not resolved the offensive line since he's left. When, when Oklahoma State was winning the Big 12, they had the best offensive line in the country, not just the Big 12. And that's that's the hidden piece to why OSU was so good on offense for all those years. Is their offensive line could protect the quarterback. They can't do that right now. They can't run the football. And if you want to blame the transfers and, and injuries, that's fine. But the simple fact is their offensive line has stunk since Joe Wickline left. Yeah, the, the fact is, you can blame what you want to blame. The fact is, it's always something. There's always some excuse as to why they can't get it done up front. And, you know, you look back on that 2011 team, and I was talking about it being the best team that they've ever had. That team blocked. Joseph Randall had real holes to run through. Brandon Whedon had real pockets to throw from. And now, I really think that Oklahoma State has two really good running backs on the roster in Chuba Hubbard and L.D. Brown. And we don't even get to see them be special unless they're playing against Kansas because you can't move anybody worth their weight and salt off the line of scrimmage. And, and again, it's been just one thing after another this season, but it's always one thing after another. 
You yep. know, there's no other school in the conference that always has one thing after another on the O-line like Oklahoma State has over the past, you know, six, seven, eight years. And it's just, again, it's the same thing that we've been seeing for for a long time in Stillwater. And I don't think I'm the only one who's just exhausted with it. I, I've seen some of the conversation that's taken place over the last couple of days regarding Mike Gundy uh, and his tenure at Oklahoma State. And people are are frustrated. And I think a lot of people are just a little mentally done with the Mike Gundy era. You want to rank his poor decisions in Bedlam for this game? I think number one, obviously, is the punt on OU's 39 with 12 minutes to go. I would nominate the third and seven stretch run play, which hasn't worked in the history of OSU football with Chuba. Yeah, that was brilliant, wasn't it? That play never works. And they run it on third and seven in the red zone. Um, the the, the quarterback the shuffling's up there for me. Probably a game flow decision. Probably not something you and I could understand. Probably a game flow decision. <laughs> he's he's going galaxy brain on us with the uh, the game flow. So uh, any more uh, any more nominations from the decision yeah, making think, department? I actually think the one that I would rank number one is just the total idiocy and and non commitment to a quarterback for the entire game because that's the most important position in all of sports and they went in after two weeks and clearly had no clue who they wanted to take the snaps at what point in the game they were totally guessing on what to do at quarterback so that one to me is worse because it took you two weeks to make that bad decision uh clearly by the way it played out the punt obviously is number two that is I mean that's borderline fireable day of um <laughs> 21 points in the fourth quarter on your opponent's side of the 40 it's but again it's, that's game unbelievable I'm just, hey i'm just a guy talking on a podcast what could i possibly understand about game flow i'm I, there's no way <laughs> that my limited football brain could possibly understand how smart you would have to be to punt from your opponent's side of the 40 down by three touchdowns in the fourth quarter the only flow i saw was the mullet i didn't see any game flow uh, uh so yeah it's again Mike Gundy knows the rap on him and he didn't care. He didn't care what people thought, didn't care about trying to at least show a little bit of fight. I mean, your fans at least deserved you going for it there after watching that display. And I just, again, I, to me, it was, it was his Picasso of, of Bedlam disappointments. He, he painted a perfect masterpiece and he really reinforced that narrative that he, he coaches scared and coaches conservatively against Oklahoma. Now, I think this leads to bigger, bigger, uh, bigger questions involving where Mike Gundy's program is right now and his future as the head coach. And you mentioned it, the excuses thing. I think that's a great point I want to touch on as well. You know, Brian Keating said the same thing on, on Crashing the Boards. He said he was tired of hearing the excuses. And he brought up an unbelievable stat. Since the formation of the Big 12 championship game, five teams have played for a Big 12 championship at Jerry World. Oklahoma. Baylor, if Iowa State makes it this year, it'll be Iowa State, and they're certainly a front runner. Baylor, Texas. Did I forget anybody else? Oklahoma, Baylor, Texas, Iowa State. TCU. And TCU. That's the one I was missing. So that those are the five schools that have that will have played for a Big 12 championship. Because I do think Iowa State will be there. You know who hasn't played for one? Oklahoma State, Kansas, Texas Tech, Kansas State. Oklahoma State, like Texas Tech. I, 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 I'm sorry. I, I'm I'm just I'm having such a hard time grasping the stat. I, I'm forgetting all the teams, but you get the point. The fact is, Oklahoma no, you, State's you got, near the bottom of the that. Big Twelve. Yeah, we get the point. 
Oklahoma State's and Brian called them a rumdum in the Big 12, called them middle of the road because they they have not played for a Big 12 championship and the top five basically have. And that that's that's a major point. And you have to question the, the trajectory of this program. Oklahoma State is now 14 and 14 in their last 28 Big 12 games. So this leads to big questions for me, Colby. I know people are tired of losing Oklahoma, but this is a bigger than an Oklahoma thing. It's fine to point out, you know, the recruiting rankings and how great Mike does with, with his style of recruiting when they're winning 10 games three years in a row, like they did in 2015, 16, and 17. Well, now they've won seven. They've won and they won seven in 2018. They won eight in 2019. They've won five this year. And at what point has this program plateaued? They're not threatening to win the Big 12. They have yet to play for a Big 12 championship. So I think that there's there's bigger issues here than just Bedlam. Bedlam's their biggest issue because you're not going to win a Big 12 championship if you can't beat Oklahoma. So that that's problem number one. But problem number two, Colby, this program's slipping under Mike Gundy. Yeah, and you know earlier I used the word plateaued, and the more I think about it, the, the more I don't think that this program has plateaued. I think this program has regressed. We had the Zach Robinson era. Zach was special. Oklahoma State did some good things. We had the Brandon Whedon era, best team in school history. And then we had a, a little bit of a gap, had some guys fill in. Clint Shelf did a good job, we know. J.W. Walsh did some good things. That, that got us to the Mason Rudolph era. Mason Rudolph era was great. You win 10 games uh, three years in a row. You still have a disappointing senior season where you lose three times at home. But all in all, the Mason Rudolph era was pretty good. And now, I mean, Oklahoma State's just tr- stumbling around trying to find itself. The Mason Rudolph era, that was three years ago. We've played three college football seasons now since Mason nope. Rudolph took a snap in Stillwater. And it's going to get worse before it gets better. Tylen ain't going to be here next year. He's going to the league. Chuba's not going to be here next year. Colby Harvell Peel's going to be a first couple rounds draft pick. I know all these guys have more eligibility because of COVID and can come back if they want to. Why would they want to? This was the year. This was the year it was supposed to be special. And, and if you can't do enough this year to even get you to Jerry's world – I promise it's not getting better next year. You, you think – let me ask you this. How many guys is OU losing off that team that just obliterated you on Saturday? You think you, you think your outlook's better in 2021? It's not. I mean, this, this thing has gone backward since Mason Rudolph left, and I don't, see, I don't see the point where it comes together and you have that uptick because that was supposed to be this year and you missed it. So now I, I really don't know where the optimism lies moving forward there is none there is none for me well it's it's startling to hear that it has been three years since mason rudolph and again that goes back to how i think mike gundy has mismanaged the spencer sanders era i mean you go back to 2018 rudolph's gone your program is going through an absolute rebuild and your quarterback you play a fifth year walk-on that is a sunk cost he is not coming back to build upon it's it's a waste. You went six and six with that quarterback who was not coming back. And so you, you look back now in 2020, what if Spencer Sanders had played that year, had played the year prior? Obviously, he got hurt in 2019, but I just think he totally mismanaged the trajectory of this football program. And now there is no trajectory. As you just mentioned, they have gone completely flat. They're going to be worse next year on offense, and they're one of the worst offenses in the Big 12 this year. And their defense, try as they may, can only do so much like we saw against Oklahoma. I mean, if you can't – if you keep punting on their opposing team's 39, that the dam's going to break, and the defense 
I think that's partly why the defense got tired of t- tackling Ramondre. They're like, well, my head coach isn't even trying to win the game, so why am I? And so, look, when people ask me, should Mike Gundy be fired, the way I always resign, frankly, the, the only – what I always think about is I think of a program like, like Tennessee. Sure, you can go hire a coach and think everything's going to be better, but you could always be worse. And that's certainly the case with Oklahoma State. It's a good job. They have the facilities. It's a tough place to recruit to, but they have the facilities to be a, a really a big-time football program. They are a big-time coach. I think they could keep on winning. But it can go both ways. They could go back to what they were before Mike Gundy. So that's a risk you take on if you're trying to get rid of Mike Gundy. I, I fully acknowledge that. I just wonder, Colby, if how much of this building of the program – was Mike Gundy's coaching acumen versus all of the toys and the facilities. I've always given Mike the most credit. I think it goes hand in hand, but I am curious to see. And I, again, I want to state that again. I think Mike Gundy is the reason the program is where it is, not just a shiny stadium and a locker room. I think Mike deserves a lot of credit for his coaching. But I do wonder if they were to bring in a younger, hungrier coach who loves recruiting. Mike clearly does not. The game has passed him by in terms of recruiting. Bring a young, hungry coach that is not afraid of Oklahoma and see what happens. I think that's the next step for this program. When that happens, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be Mike's decision. I don't think Oklahoma State's going to fire him. I, frankly, I don't think they can with his contract situation the way it is. So that's where I'm at. I do think I would like to see what that looks like with what I just mentioned, but I don't think Mike's going anywhere. Yeah, I uh, – so – I am very much on the train of it's time for a change. I actually this summer um, called for Mike Gundy's job. And my, my logic was it wasn't just because of the shirt or anything like that. I just felt like we've seen more and more year over year. Mike Gundy is out of touch with the, these younger kids nowadays in this new TikTok generation. He, he's out of touch with the kids. I think he's out of touch with recruiting. And I think, like you said, I think, college football's just passed him by a little bit. I, I don't think that his, you know, old school style, that's just, you know, it is what it is. But I understand the fear because, you know, you you could do what Texas did. Texas fired Mike Brown because they thought the grass was greener. And they've been looking for their coach ever since. And they still don't have it. And it's been a while. So that is certainly, I, I understand that fear. But that's a risk that at this point I'm willing to take because I've seen what the program is for so long now under Mike Gundy. And, and it's been great at times. It's been bad at times. All in all, the program's in a better place than it's ever been. And, you know, I think if Mike Gundy gets out sooner rather than later, then we can look back on his legacy as a good thing for getting Oklahoma State into the national conversation and into the modern era of being a top 25 football program. But you can have what happened at Texas with Mac Brown you could also have what happened in Norman with Lincoln Riley. If you will remember how paralyzed with fear OU fans were to move on from Bob Stoops for years, OU fans were paralyzed with fear to move on from Bob Stoops. Cause they're like, well, what, what if you don't get somebody better? You're going to move on from Bob Stoops. How do you get somebody better? Stop worrying. Stop worrying so much about whether the next guy will immediately be able to come in and take you to a national championship and just ask yourself, is it time for a change? And the answer to that, I think, 
is yes, it's time for a change. Mike Gundy's done great things in Stillwater, but at some point, I think every coach everywhere just runs his course, and I think Mike Gundy has run his in Stillwater. You make a great case, and again, I think I think you're right about our OSU fans and the administration happy with losing two, three, four games a year, never beating Oklahoma, and not playing for a Big 12 championship game because I don't I don't see that changing anytime soon. So I think I think you're right about you know if you have a desire to win Big 12 championships, and I I think the administration does. I think that's a, a great case by you. And the question is who who would they hire? And again, I, I think you can criticize a lot of what Mike Holder's done in his tenure, but I think overall what he's done with the athletic department has been unbelievable. I think he deserves a lot of credit for where OSU is, taking them out of the dark ages, which they were absolutely in before he convinced Boone Pickens to donate all that money. And I think Holder's proven that he can hire coaches. You look at Mike Boynton, who I think needs to start winning games, but look at what he's got the best player. He's got the number one pick in the NBA draft on campus and is about to have probably his best season. Josh Holiday. Uh, you just look at all the coaches he's hired recently. I think Mike Holder's proven he can hire a winning coach, and it's certainly a coach that knows how to recruit. Josh Holiday, unbelievable recruiter. Mike Boynton, unbelievable recruiter. Kenny Gajewski in softball, unbelievable recruiter. I think Mike Holder knows what he's doing with hiring coaches. So I would, I would trust him to make a hire. Now, We'll have many more future podcasts to go over who they should hire, or who they could hire. But I think you make a great case about, you know, what what is it you want OSU football to be? Yeah, I mean, it's a question of whether uh, you're willing to put up with what you've been doing. And it's a good question as to whether they can fire him with that contract. Because, look, it's really easy to spend other people's money. We all love spending other people's money, especially when it comes to sports, because we can all look at what we would do if we were the decision maker. Uh, I'm not the one who has to write that check. So whoever wants to, good luck to you. I don't, I don't know what the exact buyout figure is off the top of my head. But you start to wonder if at some point Gundy gets tired. You know, it's Gundy – uh, look, for, for all I've said today about the game flow and everything, I don't think Mike Gundy is stupid. I, I really don't. I think Mike Gundy is a smart guy. Don't you think that he has to know deep down that his program is not in as good of a place as it was five years ago, that he's a big reason why, that if he continues to come back and coach, he's going to continue to just go through the same things and Oklahoma State's going to be the same seven-win program that it is just about every year, and he's going to have to continue to go to these Monday press conferences after Bedlam and, and give these reasons why they couldn't come up with better schemes before the game. Don't you think at some point he's going to get exhausted with all of it and decide, you know, I kind of just want to be a, a guy. I just want to be a dad. I just want to, you know – work on my ranch and I just feel like at some point he's going to feel that way whether it's after this season I have no idea um and again I don't know if you can fire him with that contract but at some point whether it's somebody willing to write the check or Mike Gundy realizing that he's exhausted with all of this at some point the Mike Gundy era does have to come to an end and and I'm just saying I would rather start the rebuild sooner rather than later because I've I've seen this movie I know how it ends and I'm ready to watch a different one I do think he thought he was getting fired this offseason. And I think in a way that kind of re-energized him. I think he coached his tail off early in the season with all the, the issues they had on the offensive line and Sanders getting hurt. But I, I do think he's a, he's a little tired, Colby. I, I think he's I think he's kind of holding on for his son, Gunner, to get through school, who mysteriously was like, he's on the football team, but he, he's sitting out this year as a freshman to like 
put a gear between him and Illingworth, which is kind of scary to me. That sounds like a Nate Simmons, Bob Simmons type situation. I think he's kind of hanging on for Gunner to get through school. And I think he's ready to just go to the ranch and, and feed his goats and, and not have to worry about recruiting. I, I think it's a lot to me, it's very similar to Bob Stoops. I think, you know, they're two old school guys. Bob hated Twitter. He hated the the social media aspect of recruiting. And I don't think, I think Gundy's proven he doesn't put in the, the effort that's required. It's a young man's game too. And I, I think he kind of looks haggard. <laughs> I really do. I think he does look a little tired and he might just, he might just resign, but I think he makes a lot of money and may, may not be ready to do that just yet. But I, I think he's kind of waiting on his his son Gunner is my kind of working theory. Yeah, you might be right. I don't know. Can you imagine Mike Gundy trying to make a good quarterback decision when his son's in the quarterback room? <laughs> oh I, just, I don't even know what that looks like. I <laughs> And, you know, earlier in the podcast, I was so worked up and I was yelling and I think I got it all out of my system. And, and I think I'm going through the stages, right? You know, as Oklahoma State fan, we go through these stages every year. It, it's, it's the extreme anger. And now I'm to the point of acceptance where it's like, okay, I, I accept that this is where we are. How do we get where we want to be? And to get where we want to be, again, Carson, I really think that Mike Gundy hates recruiting. I don't think that he likes kids these days, if you will, to use a cliche phrase. Snowflakes. I think that, he called them snowflakes. Snowflakes. And and to me, you know, he, he comes out just a couple times a year and he just rips these this generation of kids. And I'm like, these are these are the guys you, you want to come play football for you. Now I'm going to get mad again. It's, <laughs> again, I just feel like he wants to live in this pre-smartphone social media era where you could just bring in all these good old boys and everybody just, you know, was grateful to be there and went to work every day. And, you know, I hear people talking about a, a quarterback competition between Spencer and Shane in the spring. Absolutely. If they're both still there, I think it'll be a quarterback competition. But we've already talked about on this podcast how Mike Gundy's done nothing but do Spencer Sanders wrong since he got to Stillwater, didn't let him play a single snap as a freshman, and now he pulls this garbage on Saturday night in Bedlam, you know, where Shane Illingworth takes more snaps than Spencer Sanders does, and, and he wants to blame it on the medical staff when we know that's not true. The, at some point, we have to ask ourselves the question, does Spencer Sanders want to come be a part of a quarterback competition where Mike Gundy's the one who makes the ultimate decision? He may not want to. So that might not even be something that we have to worry about. It's just, I, I don't know, man. There's a lot of things wrong right now. And you, you still got three games left to try to salvage this season. But going forward, I think it gets worse before it gets better. Yeah, I mean, quarterback's a huge question mark moving forward. And, and now with the transfer rules, they can, they can just open transfer. I mean, Spencer Sanders could be the quarterback at – at SMU, if he wants to transfer, if, if the Bichelle kid's finally graduating. So that I think those are big questions. And again, I think Illingworth and Sanders need to answer their own questions in terms of playing quarterback because neither have played well this year. I agree. Um, especially in Bedlam for Illingworth. Illingworth did a nice job early in the season. But um, yeah, any more? Any, any, yeah. What's that? I, I was just going to say, you know, he was great against Kansas. He did enough. He managed the game against West Virginia. He threw a couple fades to Thailand against Tulsa. But you're right. Both he and Spencer – are going to have to figure out, you know, am I going to be the guy in Stillwater? Um, do I have what it takes to be great? It's there are just a lot of questions right now over over the last month in Stillwater. Think about where we were a month ago, Carson, to where we are today. It really makes my head want to explode. 
Oh, it really does. Do you have any more any more takes on the game or Gundy before we get to the uniform review? Oh man, top of my head. Is your blood is your uh, blood pressure doing okay? Yeah, I mean, I'll say this for uh, for OU. You know, we've we've talked all about Oklahoma State, and I think most of the main main storylines that came out of Saturday night were Oklahoma State related. But I do think we need to give credit where credit's due. That is a great football team on the other side. I think Ramondre Stevenson and Ronnie Perkins are probably two of the best five players on that roster. If those two aren't suspended for marijuana by the NCAA, I think there's a good chance that they're able to squeak out those games earlier in the year that they lost and they could be in the national championship conversation. And I do think that if all those guys come back next year, that Oklahoma will have a more complete team on both sides of the ball than we've seen maybe since 08, maybe even back to 2003, uh, whenever you talk about what they can do offensively and defensively. So I do think that Lincoln Riley has his program moving a direction where we could see them not only be a team that can make the playoff, but a team that could actually contend. Uh, so I know as, as much disdain as everyone in Stillwater has for OU, got to give credit where credit's due because um, they've got things moving very much in the right direction. The day Mike Stoops was fired, I said the guy they should go hire is Alex Grinch. You did, and, I remember. And he was the, he was the best guy out there. I try to tell people this guy's big time, and you're already seeing the results. I mean, they're playing the best defense they've played in Norman in over a decade. You're right. And and Ronnie Perkins to me was the best player on the entire field. He looked like an NFL player. They got you know that parachuted into a college football game, and he could play on vintage early two thousands. Bob Stoops defenses and Oklahoma State didn't know how to handle them, couldn't handle them. Ramondre Stevenson is so much better than Trey Sermon and Kennedy Brooks. You know, as much as Mike Gundy gets quarterback wrong, Lincoln Riley gets running back wrong all the time. He wouldn't play Kennedy Brooks over Trey Sermon. He finally did that and wouldn't play Stevenson over Kennedy Brooks. Like he, he gets running back wrong a lot. It's starting with the, you know, all those names I just mentioned. So Anyway, I'm with you. Oklahoma was dominant. I think that's the reason Oklahoma won the game. OSU has their issues, which we've talked a lot about on this podcast, but you have to give a ton of credit to the way not only Oklahoma schemed the game, but just the way they came out, how well coached they were, and, and all, all credit to the Sooners. They, they were thorough, deserved winners because even if even if Mike had, had made, taken more risks and whatever else, OU was the better football team. So that's that's the part you can live with. You can't live with all the things we discussed with, with Gundy's approach. Yes, they were. And like you talked about, Ronnie Perkins, scary. I mean, Ronnie Perkins is a dude. He was bullying people out there. And uh, I thought it was impressive that Spencer Sanders got up and got in his face after taking that big that big hit to the ground. Uh, Sanders got a little, yeah. little fire in him, which I, I like to see as well out of my quarterback. So anyway, that's uh, all the talk for the game. Let's get to the Chris University Spirit uniform review brought to you by Chris University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. And as Colby mentioned, basketball season's rapidly approaching with Cade Cunningham. So get your get your hoops gear. I'm interested to see what it looks like at Gallagher-Iba with, with COVID, and hopefully that season gets up and running. But we, again, appreciate Chris University Spirit. Uh, with that said, OSU tried to go back to the well, uh, Colby. We forgot to – again, we had technical problems on Friday. I, I take the full blame for that. That was my bad. We didn't get to do our uniform predictions. But I probably would have predicted this because this is – that they're, they're very karmic when it comes to picking the uniforms. They went back to the 2014 well with Tyree Kill, the black, white, orange look. Yeah, I it was the 2014 look, obviously, with Tyree Kill punt return. Um, I thought the, the uniforms looked pretty clean. Again, I like the tricolor. It's not my favorite uniform that Oklahoma State wears. I would go all blacks and all whites 
uh, ahead of, I don't know, for some reason, I just like one color top to bottom. Just does the all whites, the all blacks, and the all oranges for me. That's just three three uniforms that I love. Uh, but tricolor's fine. I, I don't have a problem with it. Obviously, it didn't look so good getting slung to the turf uh, every other play Saturday night. But I, I was good with the black, white, orange. I love it. To me, it's my favorite look besides all black. Really? I, I love – I just think it's the most – I think it's the best part of Oklahoma State's colors. I think it's it's the prototypical OSU uniform in that the black, white, and orange are all accented. I think it's it's the most OSU looking uniform to me, and I, I I just love it. I love the. I'm not even a big tricolor guy. I, I tend to like, you know, the one two one or the one one two type combo where it's you know it's it's mixed up uh, more more evenly. So I, I don't know. I, I love them. Me, me and Kyle have talked about that for years. And we were so disappointed that they wore them against Iowa State and lost. And they were like deemed unwearable for so long. That's why it was so shocking. They wore them in 2014 and won the game in 2014. I was like, no, they're when they came out in 2014, I was like, oh, no, they're going to get beat by 35. And we're really never going to see these uniforms again. And they happen to win the game. So I love the look. Uh, yeah, are we, where are we at here? Are we about done? Do we need an interesting thing? Cause I've got one. Bullets and BBs. Bullets and BBs real quick. Bullets and BBs. Uh, do you want to go first or do you want me to? There's yeah, so yeah. many BBs to be given out. I'll, I'll go first. I think, you know, there's not a lot of bullets to give out in this game, but I'll, I'll give one to Trace Ford. I thought he made a lot of money on Saturday. He was right there with Ronnie Perkins in terms of best players overall on the field, certainly on defense as well. And again, I, OSU was, was out of sorts early in that game. I think you got to give Lincoln credit for that. But Trace Ford played his ass off. And I think he's just – he could play at any school in the country. He is so so athletic, so fast for his size, and is just a really good football player. And so I, I want to give it to Trace Ford. Yeah, Trace Ford's phenomenal. That's a good one. I looked, Carson, and I couldn't find anybody I wanted to give it to. So you know who I'm giving it to? Brady Pohl. The backup kicker crossed hey, yeah. into a starting role after Alex Hale injured himself pregame on a kick. Brady Pohl makes his only extra point, goes two for two uh, on field goal kicks in the mid-30s, and they were pure high end over end right down the middle uh, at a time where you were pulling back within two touchdowns going into halftime. So I think that the lone bright spot Saturday night was that a complete unknown kicker, Brady Pohl, came in and did his job, so he gets my bullet. No, I love it. And gosh, I, I felt so bad for Hale. That that video of him getting hurt was just so, so OSU, is it not? Your kicker just oh. happens to get hurt warming up. Like it was just such a bad luck play for him. I, he's had such a great year. So I, I hated to see that. I, I've got two BBs. Number one, uh, obviously Mike Gundy punting on OU's 39. The message he sent to his team, his fan base. And again, I, I thought he had improved this narrative of his you know, lack of gumption in Big 12 over the last two, three years. But, man, he reverted right back to 2016 when he took a knee at halftime to, to not even try to get a field goal or Hail Mary or anything and basically just sent a message that, look, we're not good enough to win this game, so I'm going to get us out of here. So, number one's Gundy. But right there with them, Brendan Radley-Hiles, number 44 for Oklahoma. You, you guys know who he is. He interferes with, with uh, Dylan Stoner. The flag's not thrown. He points in Stoner's face. Stoner slaps his hand out of his face, and Buki gets penalized for doing what he always does, get beat, 
play terribly, and then talk the most trash as if he's Ronnie Perkins and just dominating the football game. This guy, to me, if I was an OU fan, I don't know how upset I would be that he's still out on the field. And he, he sat like one play and then came back. He, he's not going to learn. OU's coaching staff's not going to do anything with him. I just thought that was the quintessential Brendan Radley Hiles Buki play. Because look, Dylan Stoner, is Dylan Stoner out there talking smack every single play? Like, is he, is he Tyron Johnson out there? Of course he's not. Brendan Radley Hiles is. So uh, BB for him. Yeah, that's a good one. He he actually gave Oklahoma State its only offensive touchdown of the game because it would have been fourth down had he not mouthed off and pointed it in the face of Stoner. Yeah, they were and, off the field, and he couldn't shut his mouth. I mean, it, it's fourth down. And, I mean, one thing you know, if you're playing against Oklahoma State and you get to fourth down, you don't have to defend another play. You don't have to worry about them going for it. So they were off the field, and he let them get back on. So I do think that's a good one. Uh, I've, I've just got a huge, huge BB going Mike Gundy's way. Uh, again, I said earlier, I don't think Mike Gundy is stupid, but clearly Mike Gundy thinks I'm stupid and he thinks you're stupid and he thinks that the people listening are stupid. If he's going to tell us he punted in the fourth quarter because of a game flow decision, uh, that's, that is insulting for him to say that at today's press conference. Uh, and, and again, just the excuses. You know, we, we just got out schemed, weren't, weren't real happy with the way we coached Saturday night. Well, you're not the only one, Mike, and you had two weeks to come up with it. And now after two weeks and, and just a complete ass kicking on Saturday night, you know, we just got to get back after it. I, man, I don't know. What, what is there to get back after at this point? You can't beat OU. You didn't beat them this year. You're not going to beat them next year. You're not going to beat them while Lincoln's in Norman and you're in Stillwater. So 0-4 against Lincoln Riley. And I don't see that first one coming anytime soon. So huge, huge BB for Saturday night and for today's press conference, all going Mike Gundy's way from me. Yep. And again, they have to turn the page and they got to play Texas Tech. And look, Texas Tech's no good at all. But with the way OSU's offense is playing, that's not a guaranteed win. So they have to pick it up and and, and obviously close the season strong. And I, I do think that's going to be a tough sell to his team. I really do. So he's got to get them ready to play. All right, Colby, we've gone over an hour. One interesting thing, and then we'll get you out of here. One interesting thing for me. The Clemson-Florida State game was canceled on Saturday. Uh, the doctors canceled it, not the coaches. This is what happened. Clemson had a symptomatic player travel with their team on, on the team plane, test positive for COVID. He was symptomatic and tested positive. The FSU doctors did not feel comfortable moving forward with the game. So the game was canceled because of COVID. And then Dabo comes out yesterday and says this game was not canceled because of COVID. COVID was just an excuse to cancel the game. To me, the Florida State administration forfeited the game. First off, Florida State's trying to get the game rescheduled. Second off, <laughs> the Florida State administration didn't make the decision. The doctors made the decisions because guess what? Whenever we're dealing with something that, that has to do uh, with anything medical, we leave it up to the doctors. So I thought it was really, really weak of Dabo to come out and say that, that Florida State was using it as an excuse to cancel the game. What, as if they're trying to avoid this loss so that they can get in to the ACC championship game on percentage points? Florida State doesn't have anything to lose. The doctors canceled the game, and I thought it was really weak for Dabo to come out and say what he said. Again, not for the first time out of Dabo making light of this virus. He says weird things all the time, does Dabo. And it's, this is just added to the list. He's, he's kind of just a weird dude. And, and Florida State's sitting over here like, yeah, we'll reschedule it. I uh, don't know what you're talking about. So A kid on the team plane was symptomatic and yeah. tested positive, 
And Dabo said they were using COVID as an excuse. Uh, just come on, man. Like it's, it's 2020. Everyone's dealing yeah. with it, Dabo. Like, like you're, you're upset that you didn't get to play, but don't come out and say something stupid again. Yeah. Totally with you. Uh, my one interesting thing, this just came out from um, the press conference. Mike, Gunn's, Mike Gundy says, quote, I'm really a long ways from being burned out. So he sounds like he's not going to resign anytime soon. That's my one interesting thing. And also um, Oklahoma State has 12 offensive touchdowns this season against teams not named Kansas. So buckle up. They got to play Texas Tech. We'll see how this season shakes out. But Colby, I, I hope you feel better. I hope your blood pressure's down. And uh, we'll talk to you again on Friday. Yeah, Kate Cunningham will make me feel better on Wednesday, 3 o'clock. Sounds good.